adversity. Or you think of 20, verse 6. Many claim to have unfailing love or a faithful person who can find. The second mark here of real friendship is that they're constant. There's a constancy about, about your friends. A friend loves at all times. A friend's good. Good times, friends, good. Um, the Proverbs tell us that most relationships, most friendships with relationships that people have in life, this is 19, 6, and 7, many seek the favor of a generous man. Everybody's a friend to a man who gives gifts. All the poor man brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? The point there is that for most of us, uh, friendships and relationships are purely transactional. In other words, what can I get out of you? I mean, you see this in who people talk to, right? You, you, you want to talk to the cool folks. You want to talk to people that, that can give you something. You want to have that kind of relationship with people who can do things for you. You want to get social benefits. You want to get emotional benefits. This, is, this happens a lot in, uh, in, in relationships between parents and kids or in, in marriages or just in friendships. I like you because you tell me how awesome I am. Right, And of course, when, when you become poor, if you've been a loser or a failure in life, if you've not done well in life, if you lose your social value, I don't know, spend time with you. You're not giving me access to the, the uh, cool places. You're not giving me access to the kind of uh, circles that I want to run in. You're not uh, acting uh, as uh, the kind of people I want to be around. Right? Um, but friends will be there for you when the chips are down. When you don't have things to give to them. That's what friendship is. Friends are people who are there uh, not as a means to an end, but who are simply enjoyed for the sake of themselves. Isn't that what Lewis says, right? The friend is the one who doesn't just stare at you and try to measure you and size you up, but the friend is the one who looks at some other object and says, you like that? Me too. That is, you're gazing at something else. You're not always analyzing the other person and saying, uh, uh, yeah, I'll go with you this far, but not, not, that, not that much farther. Um, and, of course, the problem is that to be constant means you have to be available. It's similar to the first point, right? There, there has to be availability. You've got to be there for people. If you're not there for people, you, uh, well, you, you can't have friendships. And yet... A faithful person who can find, right? The reality is that um, we can't. It is impossible for you to have a hundred friends. It's, it's impossible for you to have that many friends in life who are real friends. I know Facebook tells you you have a lot of friends. You don't have friends. Not that many. Um, they don't grow on, free, on trees. And so it would be good to think, if you wish to, right? Be, what can I do to be more intentional to deepen the kind of friendships that, that I have? What can I do to be available and to not view them as mere transactions? I mean, going back to Greg's point, you know, this is not how God, God does not see you as a transaction. He does not see you simply as, oh, you're a real good deal because you're not a good, I'm not, we're not good deals for God. We're not a good investment. The ROI is, is awful. You know, the return is not great. Um, we are poor sinners at best. As Christ himself says, you know, when you've done your best, you are simply an un, you are literally unprofitable for Jesus to deal with. And yet, he's confident. 
right? When we're not, He is constant. He's intentional. You see, all these marks are really marks of our marks of our Savior. Any thoughts on that one? No, open up here. Comments, reflections. Y'all have friends too. You, you know, you can. Mary, yes. That's the language used, yeah. That's a good point. No. Hmm. Third mark, um, you might say, 27, 5 to 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. The requirement here is to be uh, open or transparent. Right? There's an openness with a friend. The King James has the great, uh, the great phrasing here, I think the best phrasing, Maybe not the best translation, but it's a great phrasing. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. What are faithful wounds? Real friends tell each other hard things. That's what friends do. Um, you know, one of the issues of having my voice recorded is that I hear it occasionally, and it never sounds like me. And that's always what we have. You know, if you ever listen to your, your voice... Uh, you know, you had to do a project in high school or whatever. You had to record yourself or whatnot. Uh, it's never you. You never think it's you. It is you, but you never think it's you, right? And that's why we need friends. We need friends who are able to say, you think that's you, that's not you. Uh, you need the perspective of people to know what you sound like and look like, your strengths, your weaknesses. Um, yeah, and, and that's hard, right? The, the challenge, even to go back to, to what we've been talking about here, is to look to the one who, who became open for you. I mean, Christ himself became so vulnerable on the cross that he died for us. He op- I mean, he opened his arms. As he opened his arms, he was opening his heart. Like he was willing to show us what the heart of God is like. How faithful were the wounds of Christ for us. His wounds were faithful for us. Um, fourth, uh, fourth thing. 25, 20, and 27, 14. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. It's cold this morning. I saw somebody uh, walking, you know, it's like we were driving to church this morning, and he had on the beanie, he had on the scarf, he had on the huge jacket, you know, and I'm like, look, it's only it's only 50 degrees, you know. I mean, I've spent too much time up in the north. But, um, you know, when, when it gets below 70, we pull out the, the, the parkas, we pull out the mittens, we pull out all, all the sort of cold weather gear, and yet the Proverbs tell us here, like one who takes away your cold weather gear when it's cold, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. What's the meaning there? Well, the meaning is there has to be sensitivity. Or, as uh, 2714 says, if anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. You know what that means? That's just a hilarious verse. Anybody who, I, I, when I was out in California, we lived next to, I was in an apartment, and the folks next door loved to play uh, loud music Saturday mornings, and uh, I didn't like it. I took it as a curse, you know, and I, I'm sure that, uh, that that can be 
uh, the case for, for all of us. Uh, let me give you another one. 26, 19. Well, 18 and 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. You might say hand grenades. Like a madman who throws hand grenades is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, oh, I'm only joking. Right? We can use humor inappropriately. Or in 25:20, we sing songs. You speak lightheartedly to people who are grieving. The, the point is um, that there's an emotional disconnect, right? There's a need to actually not be clumsy with people's hearts, not be clumsy with people's hearts. Uh, if, if you don't know the other person, if you don't really know somebody, you won't know what bores them. You won't know what inspires them. You won't know what makes them hurt, what makes them help, what helps them. Um, friends tie their hearts to one another. That's why the Bible over and over and says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Right? There's a need to be sensitive. But if you don't know what joy looks like, if you don't know what mourning looks like, you won't be able to do that with people. Um, you know, Christ tied his heart to us so that he knew joy the joy that we were getting even in the middle of his sorrow. He, he looked to that joy, the joy of us being made alive, the joy of sons and daughters coming into his family. He was so connected to us. It was so intense for him that um, he was able to be sensitive. He was able to know what brings, me, what brings my friends joy. It's my sorrow. My sorrow brings them joy. So even as he was dying, he looked to that joy. And he was able to scorn the cross. He was able to mock it, shame. He was able to triumph over it. That's, that's friendship, right? Um, so is, is there a sensitivity to other people? You know, do you have the kind of friends that you can, you know what makes them tick? I mean, this is what I'm told uh, siblings do to one another. Siblings know the buttons to push. And they push them maybe more than they should, right? But do you, with your friends, with your spouse, with those who are close to you, do you uh, know what buttons to push and what buttons not to push? And do you do it? Moving on. Um, well, I'll, I'll skip uh, the classic verse on counseling, right? As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That's similar to what we've already discussed here in the open Section, but the last one here um, in this section on friendship, uh, twenty-seven nine. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. This tells us something about friendship: that friendship is actually a happy thing. Friendship is sweetness. Friendship is um, sweet. What's interesting is at the time of Proverbs, you know, you couldn't like create sweet foods. They didn't have the artificial ability to kind of make, you know, and bake and all that sort of stuff. They, they could only discover it in the foods that they cooked and baked. They couldn't manufacture it. They didn't have factories and all that sort of stuff. But they could only discover it. Um, that's why friendship, ultimately, you can do all these things and yet never have this. I think one of the main issues we have is that we can we can do all these sort of things, right? And really work hard at being a good friend, and yet we find it to be work. We don't actually have valuable friendships, and it's because we're seeing the other person still as a project. 
I need a best friend. You'll never get a friend by saying, I need friends. This is why apologies, um, sororities and fraternities don't always work. You know, you pay the money to be in the club and it can't, you can, it can happen, you know, but uh, it may not happen, right? This is the danger of um, friendships that, that are simply, you know, trying to go to a class like this and say, all right, I need to learn the five tips on being a good friend. I'm going to now do that. You're missing out on the discovery. As Lewis says, when you answer the question, do you see the same truth? And you say, I don't care about the truth. I only want a friend. It's the kind of person that says, look, I don't care about what, what is true or what's real. I just, I just, I need a friend. I, you tell me I need to have a friend. I need a friend. He says this. No friendship. There's nothing for the friendship to be about. Those who have nothing can share nothing. This is what Christian faith does. Christian faith creates a deep affinity, a deep, a deep sweetness between people who don't have things in common. You know, uh, I am someone who has uh, many weird eccentricities. You may not like them. You may like them. You may find them all sorts of things. But what brings us together is not my weird or your not weird eccentricities. It's not your weird hobbies. It's not my weird hobbies. It's not my dog. Many of y'all are cat people. I don't know why, but, you know, that's the reality of it. It's not any of our, it's not my skin color. It's not my, uh, it's not your economic sense. It's not, it's not any of these other things. It is Jesus Christ. He makes friendship between Christians sweet. I remember when I was in Russia uh, and I only knew one other Christian there that I could actually talk about the word with. And that, I didn't have anything, this, this, was a, this, this guy was a jock. He was, you know, he was a fraternity guy. He was all these sort of things that I do not have affinity with. And uh, yet, we had friendship, not because of any of our interest. You know, his Russian wasn't, he didn't want, he wasn't nearly there for Russian. But uh, we had affinity because of Christ. Yes, sir. Yeah, there's no, there's no, you're right, there's no, there's no physical connection. You know, with your family, they birthed you. You were in the womb. You know, we're all in somebody's womb sometimes. And with, uh, with marriage, of course, right, with, with erotic, you know, romantic love, there's, there's a physical union. But with friends, there's none of that necessarily. You know, you, I guess you can go out and chop wood together, and that's some connection. But you do that voluntarily. Yeah, that's a good point. Any other thoughts on, on friendship before we move on to uh, family, parenting, marriage, all the good stuff? Sure.
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And yet it, it, I, I do think it's important to realize that Christ didn't have a, a certain kind of um, uh, personality profile. You know, it's not that we're not saying that he was extrovert or introvert and therefore we all should be extrovert or introverted kind of people. Uh, he was he was Jesus Christ. He, he knew how to be in every situation. And um, the only way we can do that with our personalities, you know, is prayer. You know, to ask him to give us the the courage, the ability to do, to be all these things. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Other other comments, thoughts, All right, moving on then to uh, the topic that, um, again, for for many of us, I think is uh, maybe easier, uh, at least in some ways, is the question of family. Now, under this. Uh, I'll be chatting a little bit about marriage, a little bit about parenting, a little bit about uh, all those sorts of things. The first thing we, we look at here is um, 4.3 and 6.20 from Proverbs. For I, too, was a son to my father, still tender, cherished by my mother. Uh, my son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. This is a bit of a surprise. Um, the very first lesson that the, that the Proverbs teach, I mean, not the first one, but the, one, the first one for me, I'm, I'm going to tell you all at least. Uh, is that contrary to every other culture of their day, um, in the very beginning of Proverbs even, we see the father and the mother teaching their son in wisdom. The mother is an authoritative voice right alongside the father. In other words, um, the biblical picture of the family is not simply a uh, father, but, uh, but both uh, father and mother. Both parents. The woman is able to instruct people in wisdom, and that means, that requires that the mother herself had a time where she got trained. She got educated in some way. She was a true partner in learning and instruction. Does not, this does not mean that uh, one spouse went to Harvard and the other one went to Yale. This does not mean that you you have uh, simply intellectual education. It does mean, however, that you and your spouse should be curious about the world around you. You and your spouse should be lifelong learners, as we say these days. We should be people who are always interested in, in, in growing in Christ, who are brainstorming one another, right? Both Parents are to pass on what they have, but if they don't have anything, or if one only, if only the father cares, only the husband cares, only the wife cares, and you're not actually uh, brainstorming together, you won't be a professor for your kids. If, if both of y'all don't want it, then only one of y'all is going to pass it on. I think when we look at uh, we look at marriage, we look at what uh, what marriage is about. This is an area that we kind of uh, put, you know, maybe 10 out of 10 on, on the list of priorities, you know, at the bottom. 
Um, are, you, are you curious about Christ? Are you curious about this world? Are you curious about wisdom? That's not a question we ask all the time. But I think it ought to be a little higher than, uh, than it is. Second point to note that when it comes to the husband-wife relationship, 14.1, the wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears her down. Um, now, this is not simply, uh, she's not simply a uh, construction worker, right? But the, the point here is that um, there's kind of a managing partnership to the family. Though the Bible does teach the husband's the head of the home, it does not mean that the husband makes all the kind of management decisions. We have here the wise woman building her house. This is a social, economic, material, emotional, spiritual house. One commentator says that this means that the family stability depends upon her wisdom. And the point is um, that both spouses contribute to the family. This may be an obvious point, but I want to make it that both spouses contribute. Both spouses are partners. It's not that simply uh, the husband makes all the decisions without input from his wife. Right? Let's, uh, let's guard against that that view of what marriage is. Um, any questions on that? I don't expect any, but sometimes I get surprised. <clears throat> Next point. Again, continuing here on marriage. 12.4 says that um, a wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. There's edification. Marriage is edification. To crown somebody is to honor them. To, to crown somebody, it's the last thing you put on. It's uh, in the garden, in the creation account. What's the last thing God makes? Simple Bible trivia question. What's the last thing God makes? Us. Yeah, Greg. Adam, the man, humanity. We are the crown of creation, as many scholars write. And so it is here. The, the wife of noble character is her husband's crown. It's the opposite of decay. There's an inner confidence that comes from a crown. There's inner destruction, slow destruction that comes from decay. Your spouse has the power to make or break you, in a sense. Um, and um, this, this really, of course, is the case as a Christian. When your spouse is a Christian, this is one reason why, besides direct statements in the New Testament, this is one reason why, uh, your spouse should be a Christian because they crown you. And when the crown's not pointing to Christ, it's going to be a problem. When, when you're not pointing to Christ, it's going to be a problem. Yes, sir, Greg. Poetry, right? Flesh in my flesh and burn my bones. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> Very good, Jenny. Yes, yes. That's that's clever. I like that one. That's good. Yes, you was made now. Very good. <coughs> well, so uh, before we move on to um, kind of family, I do want to discuss, since we are in Proverbs and we are in the wisdom literature, we have I've kept it off till now. But uh, I do want to have a little bit of a chat with you about that chapter. That chapter being, of course, uh, 
Proverbs 31. You know, when I was about 15 years old, we went out uh, as a youth group, the guys did, and uh, we chatted about, you know, what, what, should, the, what should you look for in, you know, in a gal, in a girlfriend, in a wife, and all these sort of things. And the answer uh, was, we kind of went through Proverbs 31, and we said, okay, you need all these sort of things. Um, that's a lot. It's a lot here. Um, I know that there are conferences and, and plenty of talks for ladies on the same theme, that this is, uh, this is what you're to do. And while I would argue, of course, that this applies to women, I think this, just like most of the prophets apply to women and men, I would argue this is not primarily, first and foremost, a description of a woman, a wife, her responsibilities. I would argue that the application of this text is not first and foremost to making a list of what all women should do, and they go out and fill them. For one thing, I don't see a lot of scarlet here. You know, you need to clothe your kids in scarlet more often, uh, ladies. Um, in fact, I mean, I'm wearing red, you know, that's pretty close. Um, <clears throat> in any event, uh, what would I argue? I would argue instead, if you recall all the way back to our first time we discussed Proverbs, we mentioned that there were two ladies, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And so much of the book is about the choice. The, the book, as is, is, is I argued then, is forcing you to make the choice between these two women. It's an active choice that you have to make all your life long. Will I follow Lady Wisdom or will I follow Lady Folly? Will I follow Lady Wisdom who cries out in the streets or Lady Folly who cries out in the streets? Will I go into them or will I not? Um, now, let me make the point, therefore, that I would argue Proverbs 31 is primarily, primarily describing as the culminating conclusion to the whole book, the book that says you need to make a choice for lady wisdom. This is saying here's what wisdom looks like as she works. Here's a picture of lady wisdom. Now, of course, this has application to, to ladies. This has application to, to y'all. Uh, but I don't think that's the first thing. I don't think that's the primary application. Rather, it is the crown, speaking of crowns, it is the crown of Proverbs that points out, look how beautiful, how industrious, how glorious wisdom is. Let me, let me uh, prove this with a couple of, uh, couple of comments. Uh, verse 11 <coughs> of 31, the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no, I can, I, let's start at verse 10. Let's start at verse 10. An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. Does that remind you of anything? Far more precious than jewels. Jewels, rubies, yes. Is that what your translation said? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, well, that's, but that's the point, right? That's, the point is that that's very similar to Proverbs 8, you know, and then 31.10. Wisdom is far more precious than gold or silver. So is this girl. Verse 11, next verse. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of grain. That's very similar to, uh, just by way of example, 4.8, uh, and how wisdom will exalt 
the man who prizes her, the man who embraces her. He will lift her up. 31, uh, down in verse 21, what I just mentioned, right? She is not afraid of snow for her household, for our household are clothed in scarlet. She provisions her household with material well-being. They have nice clothes. So what does wisdom give? If you look back at 9, 1, and 2, and uh, verse 6, you realize that wisdom builds her house. Wisdom sets her table. Wisdom provisions her household with all these nice things. Um, those are merely a couple. I could go on. I, I don't have time to make the, the, the full point. The last thing I would say, however, well, I mean, not the last thing, but a couple of other things, is look at the very first verse of chapter 31. This is a part that we often forget. We, we love, you know, 10 to 31 of the chapter because that's like a, that's, that's its own set, it, 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 its own beautiful poetry. It's acrostic. It's connected. But it comes in the context of this guy, King Limuel. The words of King Limuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. It's interesting. We have another gal here, King Limuel's mom. And we're told that this chapter is not taught to his wife, not taught to his sister, not taught to his daughter, taught to him. And the, the implication there, King Limuel needed wisdom. He's a king. Yes, he needed a good queen. Of course he needed a good queen. That's part of wisdom. But he needed wisdom above that. He needed wisdom in all of his life. Uh, the point, therefore, um, that I would argue for um, is that this last section of the, of the whole book of Proverbs is a glorious hymn, very similar um, for example, verse, uh, verse 10, right? An excellent wife who can find. That language of excellent there is not simply like she earns A pluses on the grade. You know, she earns 100% on the exam. That language of excellent is actually more like uh, valiant, strong, noble. A woman of noble character sometimes we read. The point is, that this is very similar, this language is exactly uh, very similar to the language of David's mighty men, the, the Gibberim. This is the counterpart, this girl, this lady, is the counterpart the, uh, to David's mighty men. This is the girl counterpart to the mighty men of David. And we went through Samuel a few, a few years ago, and um, you recall that David sang a hymn. He sang poetry to his mighty men. This is the poetic counterpart to that, right? A picture of the mighty woman, the strong woman. So it does have application to us, ladies. No, y'all, ladies. It's close there. But first and foremost, it has application to every Christian who should value wisdom. Every Christian should value wisdom. I, I've, I've digressed way too much. Uh, any questions, comments, Greg? Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. I like that. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yes, but not directly, but it does follow it. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the Hebrew, yes, that's correct. The Hebrew ordering. Yes. Well, uh, moving on then to more on the family, but here more on parenting. 
Let me give you a few things in the last couple of minutes we have together. Um, this is 23, 22 to 24. Listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth. Do not sell it. Wisdom, instruction, insight as well. The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. Um, the point simply here is uh, that that old song uh, by Crosby, Steele, Nash, and Young, teach your children well. That's, that's the moral, right? We are to teach our children well. Traditionally, in the traditional cultures, strict discipline was used. Modern view, uh, and some, some modern views say, no, 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 self-discovery. It's what they, uh, what they call unschooling. Let your kids find out whatever they want. You know, and Proverbs says, look, neither of those is the goal of parenting. The goal is to become wise, teach your children to become wise, ultimately righteous. The father of a righteous child has great joy. The man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. Um, the idea that you can expect a kid to kind of work out right and wrong is not accurate. That's, uh, that's, not, that's not the case. The parents taught them. Now notice... <clears throat> Notice here what our Savior did. Did God, in His wisdom, as our Heavenly Father, did He uh, neglect to teach us? Did He say, you know what, I'm going to save them and kind of just leave them on their own? No. He, in fact, says, I'm going to give you a teacher. I'm going to give you a comforter. I'm going to give you one who will lead you into all truth. God parents us. God parents you. You're, you're a kid. You're a kid, and God, God parents you. Uh, and he parents you wisely, he parents you well. Moving on, um, let me skip a couple of things here. Uh, I do want to discuss this, I think. Yes, 17.2. A prudent servant will rule over a disgraceful son and will share the inheritance of the family. This tells us that family has limits. There are limits to family. We don't like hearing that, right? We think that blood is... Uh, very important, most important thing. But uh, here we have Proverbs, for all its high regard for the importance of family, nonetheless puts individual worth ahead of pedigree. A prudent servant will rule over a disgraceful son. Um, privilege means a lot to people these days. Insider assassin means a lot to people these days. It means much to the world, who you know, who you're connected to. But with God, the only thing that matters is faith, not insider status, not, not privilege, not social ability, but faith itself. That's what God looks at. He looks at, uh, yeah, he looks at his servants. And yet, I'll conclude with this one, the last one, 29.3, a man who loves wisdom brings joy to his father, but a companion of prostitutes squanders wealth. Um, Proverbs gives us only a little bit of hope that people who are young and foolish can get back. I mean, there's not a lot of hope there. And yet, you think about 29.3. You read it. You read the two, the two sections. It seems pretty clear that, you know, if you're wise, if you love wisdom, you're going to bring joy to your father. And yet this verse is almost exactly a miniature version of the parable of the prodigal son. The young son was a fool. He was an idiot. He rejected wisdom. He squandered his property 
on prostitutes, Luke 15, 30. But in Jesus' parable, what the Proverbs separate, he brings together. Remember that, that Christ is someone who has greater wisdom than Solomon. He is someone who is wiser than the limited vision of the Proverbs, correct as they are in, in general. But in Jesus Christ, he was, as Mary already pointed out, a companion of sinners. He declares that prostitutes can enter the kingdom of heaven. He becomes weak and despised. He takes the rod that the fools deserve. That the, he took the disgrace that the bad sons and the bad kids deserve to draw fools to himself, to draw sinners to himself. That's Christ. So I guess the question is, have you seen in your folly this wisdom of the ages? As we kind of finish our whole series, let's remind ourselves that the ultimate example of wisdom is Jesus Christ and his salvation is the plan of God to seek and to save. That's wisdom. All these other things are good. Friends, family, all the other uh, principles are valuable. But if you don't have that, it doesn't matter how wise you are. It doesn't matter how wise you are. You're a fool ultimately if you can't see the value of God's grace. Well, let me, uh, let me go ahead and close us in prayer. If that's all right, uh, if you have any other questions, you can uh, ask me afterwards. Almighty Lord, we thank you that you give us uh, this section of your word to tell us the value of friends, the, the way of friendship, the discovery that we can have as we make friends. And yet, you show us also um, there's something greater than friendship, something greater even than family. And it's you. It's you and your son. It's you and your calling those of us who are disgraces and fools, members of your family, friends of you. Therefore, we pray in the name of our older brother, the name of our uh, steadfast and constant friend, Jesus Christ, that you would give us the wisdom in our friendships and our families to follow his path. We pray this in his name. Amen.